Welcome back to Scripps Talks, a podcast that we're doing during this time of COVID-19, featuring several alumni of the School of Journalism and students and faculty as they're having to adapt to this new reality. On the phone with me right now is Amy Nordrum, who is a science reporter, a science journalist, and I was very interested to hear how this is all affecting Amy's work and both the kind of work she's doing as well as how she's doing it. So Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So let's start with how is this affecting your your work, uh, both in terms of what you're covering and how you're covering it? Well, I am news uh, editor at a technology and engineering uh, magazine called IEEE Spectrum in New York City. And so you know, this is such a big story. Uh, one piece of what we've had to decide at Spectrum is, you know, what part of it uh, can we own and can we contribute meaningful work to? And so our coverage has really focused on the role that technology is playing in detecting and monitoring and finding treatments for the virus, uh, hopefully, and also uh, in how technology companies, whether it's their workers, you know, working from home or their supply chain are being affected by it. So, you know, it's such a huge story and there's so many different ways uh, to approach it. It's been important for us to kind of carve out uh, our our niche and our territory in the area that we, we know best within that universe. We've certainly shifted a lot of our resources, including our staff editor's time, as well as our freelance contributors uh, to this issue. We've done about, I think, two dozen stories now on it, most of them since March 1st. So pretty small newsroom. It's a significant amount of uh, coverage for us. Uh, and we're, yeah, we're thinking about it every single day, all day. You know, it's, it's interesting that the whole world, in a sense, has, has focused now on essentially one story, whether it's a different aspect of the story, but it's still the one big story that we're, we're kind of all in this together. How quickly did your newsroom realize that this was going to be the story to work on for, for the foreseeable future? Yeah, it certainly progressed quickly. And, you know, I think at, at first hearing a lot of the reports out of China, uh, we started to think about it. And then as it, as it was clear the science is really coming together very quickly, too, which is one of the interesting pieces about covering such a fast-moving story. So as we began to see evidence of community spread and the extent to which this was going to be a problem across not just Wuhan and not just China, but uh, the globe, that's when we really started to devoting significant resources uh, to it because we knew at that moment it would have you know broad effects on technology companies on the economy uh, certainly on community and individual health and then we also uh, really started to focus on the response and what technology companies were doing in terms of detection and monitoring and modeling uh, on the computer science side to try to figure out where this was headed next and how it was going to play out. You know, there was no shortage of story ideas once we um, realized that because there's so much going on. One interesting thing about this is there's so many different ways to cover and tell the story. And I've been watching coverage other outlets have done. You know, there's been a lot of interesting personal essays uh, we've done Q&As with scientists involved in disease modeling or working on uh, mobile contact tracing, uh, for example. And there's lots of great service pieces out there, too, about flattening the curve and how to properly wash your hands. So there's a lot of different pieces to this. Um, you know, and I'm happy to see so many newsrooms have mobilized and uh, really focused on this across a lot of different uh, angles. Tell us a little bit about your own personal experiences and living through this, you know, this pandemic as a journalist, you know, based on where you live and, and how you you conduct your work? 
difficult thing is actually just getting a hold of sources in some cases because many times, like I, I've been working on uh, two stories uh, related to this myself that I'm, I'm writing. I'm primarily editing, but these two stories I'm writing, uh, reaching sources has been more difficult than usual because many of the key people that you want to reach to speak with about their role and their response, they're not available because they're working so hard and getting so many requests for information about their work right now. And so that's certainly a challenge. I've definitely needed to reach out to more potential sources and do more follow-ups to get the information that I'm looking for. In a practical sense, we're all, you know, we're offices are based in New York City, so we're all working from home now. I'm also enrolled in an an MBA program. I'm taking classes online for that program. So it's been a huge life shift for uh, for the staff editors involved, and also the freelance contributors that we, we work with. A lot of a lot of them are dealing with um, that shift, and you know the, the extra challenges that that brings. So it's definitely been an interesting time. I think it's you know a time when journalism is more important than ever, and I'm happy to see a lot of really high quality work being done out there. We can also talk a little bit about some of the political dimensions to this because. You know, journalism has been um, in the bullseye of uh, President Trump and, and some of his supporters. And even through this process, even though we see journalists working very hard on the story, it continues to be in the bullseye. And I wonder, from a science journalism point of view, is that something you pay attention to at all? Or is that not something you, you really have to spend any time worrying about? There are scientists at all levels of, of government and industry and academia that are are willing to, to stay um, and speak out of, and, you know, kind of feel a call to duty, I think, right now to really speak out about what we do know and what we don't know and the uncertainty involved and how this is all playing out uh, in the most, you know, to the best evidence that they have at this point. So, um, you know, as a science journalist, that's, those are, you know, our kind of number one um, sources in a lot of our, our pieces and uh, the ones that we consider most informed and reliable on this particular issue in a, in a lot of cases. You know, it's it's been very helpful to when we are able to reach those sources to have uh, that perspective and to be able to present that information uh, to our readers and to our audiences. I think one of the really difficult things is there is so much uncertainty at this moment about the virus itself. There's been a lot of key information that scientists would like to have that they're still figuring out. And, that you know, it's definitely science in progress here. Um, that's It's important to communicate that and convey that to readers because there, there's just so much information that they're still, you know, trying to study and figure out key details like, can people be reinfected with this virus? Is it seasonal? And how long does it survive on, on surfaces? There's a lot of information, even you know, the death rates are difficult to kind of hone in on. And the number of cases uh, is probably far you know, above the number of reported cases, uh, for example. So there's uncertainty and nuance in a lot of this information uh, that I think scientists are, are being very um, honest and open about because that is the nature of their work right now. And I think uh, to the extent that journalists are able to, to convey that to readers and to an audience, it, it really helps you know, ground the conversation and what is known and what is the evidence at this point. And I think that's very helpful service, public service, especially right now. What's what's your assessment of how general news organizations um, have covered the story? I assume you've probably paid some attention to, you know, the Washington Post or the New York Times or USA Today or some of the more mainstream um, or even television for that matter. 
the New York Times has sort of a live updates blog that they're providing, which I've found pretty useful because it is such a fast moving story. I think that's a smart way to present information um, where it's basically like a, a, you know, a bolded sentence and then a short paragraph update uh, with the latest information from whether it's a press conference or, you know, the Senate's uh, activities with the, the aid package or, you know, other developments. It's kind of a short, succinct, uh, very timely update on what's happening at this moment, especially in the New York City area, um, which I'm, I'm particularly interested in since I'm here. Uh, other than that, I think places like, you know, a place like Vox, this is like a time for them to shine, being in the business of explanatory journalism. And I think um, they've done a, a pretty good job at that in terms of laying out what what's still not known about this and what pieces of information are still kind of coming together to help scientists figure out how this is going to go and, you know, where we're headed next. I know a lot of people who are trying to be fast with their coverage right now, but are also being very careful and thoughtful about this. And uh, I think there's just been a, a ton of good coverage. I've been encouraged and uh, very happy to see that across the board. Any concern about how social media is playing uh, some role in perhaps, you know, sharing bad information? Yeah, it's always a concern. I think good information, especially, I mean, good information is always so important, and especially at a time like this. As a journalist and, you know, in the industry of journalism, I think the best you can, best thing you can do is put out better information, more information um, to try to, you know, to just make that available. It's hard to control what happens on social media from a, a journalism perspective. So I think a lot of the good service and reporting work being done uh, by outlets, that information is out there and, you know, it's easy to find uh, relatively. So I, I think that continues to be an issue and a problem, you know, and from a journalist perspective, we, we hope that people are finding their way to our coverage and are, you know, kind of reading it and, and thinking about it and taking uh, that as kind of their, one of their primary information sources. And and what's it like to, to live in New York City right now? Because I, I've heard different people speculating about the number of uh, or the percentage of the population that, that may be infected. It's very hard to know right now. One of the uh, difficult things about this virus is you can be asymptomatic and you can have it. Um, you can be asymptomatic for a while and you know not show any symptoms and still pass it on to others. So the case counts in terms of number of confirmed cases are likely you know underestimated in the number of actual cases in, the, in the, any community. And New York uh, right now has a fairly number, high number, the highest in the country of confirmed cases. Uh, so, I mean, I've been basically at home for the last two weeks. I've taken a couple of walks around my neighborhood, um, social distancing the whole time. But, you know, it's a, it's a strange time to be in the city. I never imagined it being quite like this, um, just basically staying in your apartment uh, as everyone, a lot of other people are. It's odd. I mean, I'm happy and fortunate to be able to do my work still, and our newsroom is, is operating pretty much as normal, except for the fact that we're all remote now. So, you know, there's there's a lot of um, good things about that in terms of being in an industry that uh, allows us to continue to work and uh, that, it, you know, feels particularly urgent right now. As you pay attention to the science of all of this, uh, as we all pay attention to the science, it, it's pretty clear that we're probably going to learn a lot about pandemics and about the threats and, and possibly the connection to, to global warming. So I got to believe that for a science journalist, that's, that's kind of encouraging. It's, I mean, it's definitely very interesting. I um, think that there's been a lot of scientists who really feel like, a you know, this is like 
a moment that they can really contribute so much. Um, there's been many people uh, in academia and also companies even that have shifted resources toward aiding in this response in some way, shape, or form. You know, when this is hopefully um, in the past, it will we will have certainly learned a lot from it. Every pandemic is also different, I imagine, so it, it's not clear how many of uh, those lessons might translate to the next situation. But, you know, I do think that that, that will be one, I guess, positive outcome of this, is that there's been a lot of uh, science done in a very short amount of time and a lot of uh, resources focused on this, uh, hopefully for the best. Amy Nordrum, thank you very much for taking some time out of a very busy schedule to, uh, to share your thoughts and perspective. Thanks so much. And best of luck to you. Thank you.